the impact is magnified because it's happening on both ends in the sense that you've had a rise in the building costs on one side and a drop-off in the GRV values on the other side. So it's it's amplifying the impact uh, on both ends. You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of the show. Thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Keeping well? I'm doing great. Thank you. Lots been going on. Nice to get back behind the microphone and deliver another episode to you. Got a great show coming up again today. We're talking about project and property finance, which I know is a perennially interesting topic for listeners out there. But just before we get to that, here's a quick update on what I've been up to. My project that's under construction is finally making good progress again with the framing. The framing's just about done. All the ground floor frames are done. Most of the upper level frames are done. Just a couple of the triple level townhouses that need their third level framing to start. And then they'll put the roofs on, but they've already started the brickwork. So I was on site last week and there was... Heaps of brickies there. There must have been eight to ten bricklayers there, absolutely smashing out the brick laying, which was fantastic to see. They're really motoring through. I think they were expected to finish this week on the ground floor townhouses or the back eight townhouses um, at the site. So that's going to be really awesome to see. So it's exciting to see things moving along. We're probably about three months behind schedule, which is uh, frustrating, but that's just the way it is. On my other project, we just settled on the land, which is nice. So officially the owners now, which is always nice to celebrate. And we're just about to submit the planning application for that project. So fingers crossed that it's well received by the local council. A couple of announcements just before we get to today's guest. The training is still up and running. If you're interested in learning how to become a property developer, be sure to check out my training course at www.propertydevelopertraining.com. I just added a new training to the content called Taking It to the Next Level, which is for people who want to become a full-time developer. So it covers off the key considerations you need to think about if you want to go bigger. So added even more value to the training. Uh, You can grab a copy of my book, Become a Million Dollar Property Developer, an insider's guide to wealth, fulfillment, and glory at www.propertydeveloperpodcast.com forward slash book. It's been very humbling to see copies of the book continuing to fly out the door. So be sure to grab a copy if you want to hear about my story and some of the lessons that I've learned along the way about property developing. And finally, just quickly, if you want to find out how ready you are to become a property developer, then take my free quiz at propertydevelopertraining.com forward slash quiz. Okay, on to today's guest, a previous visitor to the show, finance specialist Fabian DeMarco from Commercial and Construction Capital. Fabian featured in episode 65 way back in 2020, right at the start of the COVID pandemic. So it was great to catch up with him and hear what's happening in property finance because a lot has changed since then, but even more so in the past six months. 
Fabian has more than 20 years experience in the finance industry with a special interest and focus on property development finance, including land, construction, finance across senior debt, mezzanine debt, preferred equity and joint venture funding. In this chat, we talk about what's happening in the lending market with all the impacts surrounding construction costs and delays, changes that lenders are putting in place to address some of those issues, and how you can best place yourself with development finance applications. So without further ado, let's hear from Fabian. Fabian DeMarco, welcome back to the Property Developer Podcast. Hello, Justin. It's a privilege to be here. Now, last time when you came on the show, I asked you what food you would eat until you were sick. And seeing as we know what the answer to that is, this time I'm going to ask you what food you would hate to eat until you were sick or that would make you sick. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um, look, um, I was one of those kids that uh, just for some reason did not like fish at all. And it's carried through to adulthood. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, look, there are some seafood uh, things that I'll eat. Uh, usually it has to be deep fried. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, fish uh, and seafood is, is not something that uh, I would uh, be running to, to eat, put it that way. Yeah, so I'm with you because mussels always make me sick, which I found out the hard <laughs> way. Yeah. yeah. Nah, Physically I, sick. I, I can't do it. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Well, this is uh, your second trip back to the podcast. I was just uh, looking yep. back at our past episode and it took place in March 2020, right before we went into some COVID lockdown. So I was kind of shocked that it's been yeah. two and a half years since then and a lot has changed. Yeah. So it's good to get you back talking about finance. So if people want to find out more about you, they can go back to episode 65 and have a listen to that because it's still relevant talking about private funding. But can you give us just a quick background of yourself for people that maybe maybe hadn't heard that episode? Who are you? How how do you get into finance? Yeah. The quick trip for us. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, look, a uh, quick snapshot is um, I've been working within the finance industry for about 21-odd years now. Um, started my career out uh, in, in lending uh, in the retail space, uh, residential lending primarily. Um, then sort of took a bit of a detour out into financial markets. Uh, in in uh, did some work in the in the trading space. Um, worked for a hedge fund, um, but then eventually found my way back into lending um, and into the banks. Uh, so I was a, a bank manager for a few years, um, where I managed uh, a couple of uh, branches for Bank of Queensland, um, which was uh, an enjoyable experience. Uh, but about eight eight years or so ago, I uh, decided to to leave the banking cartels and venture out on my own and, uh, and start a brokerage. Um, when I first started, uh, I was uh, a generic mortgage broker. I did everything from home loans to equipment finance to commercial loans. I did everything. Um, but about three years ago, um, I decided to become a little bit more niche and specialised uh, and decided focusing primarily on development finance. So over the last three years, I've uh, curated uh, a number of uh, developers and, and mortgage brokers that, uh, that sort of work alongside us. Um, and we, we arrange finance for property developers that are at all stages of the cycle. So either site acquisition uh, or construction funding when they're, when they're building. Uh, and then also on the exit, um, where they're looking for re- residual stock. 
uh, or, or, or anything like that. And, and even some developers, uh, we can assist with uh, helping them to look for equity partners uh, in a project. So um, originally when I, when I decided to become niche, I thought that it was a bit of a risk because essentially I'd be having to turn away business um, because I, I no longer do a home loan. So if that was to come on my desk, I, I would be turning it away. Um, but it had the opposite effect. Once I became specialised, um, I started getting people approaching me that maybe in the past wouldn't have approached me um, because they were looking for an expert in the field. Um, and, and now that's all I do day in, day out. I probably run about five or six different feasibilities a day. I crunch the numbers. I see projects all over the country. Um, so it's, it's, it's a passion of mine. Um, I, I love it. Um, so, yeah, and that's, uh, that's where I'm at now. It's funny because back around 2019, 2020, when we spoke, private funding was sort of exotic a little bit because the banks had this huge share of commercial lending and construction loan lending and then things tightened up. And when we spoke, private funding was becoming more popular and it was being used by a lot of developers because they weren't able to get funding they weren't able to get pre-sales, so they were looking for more flexible options and other lenders stepped into the breach. And I think that's just continued to grow since we spoke. So it's good to get back in touch and talk to you and find out, well, what's what's been happening in the last two and a half years? Has the market shrunk? Has it grown? What's changed? What What's working? What What yeah. isn't? You know, let's, let's, let's hear it all about... Yeah, for developers. Well, I mean, look, I'd say the first thing that that has has, has definitely changed is, like you said, um, a few years ago, private funding was, uh, you know, compared to ten years ago, where uh, you know it was literally, uh, you know, maybe ten or twenty solicitors' offices around the country that that would organise it. Um, over the years, it's slowly grown, and and you've had uh, a lot of these funds that pop up, uh, managing investors' capital. Um, but it, it, like you said, even about three years ago, um, it was still a little bit uh, underground, if I could use that word. Um, but look, over the last three years, it's 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 become totally mainstream to the point where you know you've got now private lenders that sit on aggregators, uh, mortgage broker aggregator panels, um, just like a normal mainstream lender would. Um, so, um, in that sense, I'd say it's. There's, there's good and bad things uh, with, with that. Um, the good is that, you know, by being now a little bit more mainstream, some of these lenders have had to, to sharpen up their processes um, and perhaps become a little bit more polished than they were in the past, which is good for the end user, the borrower and the broker. Um, the, the downside with it is that some of them haven't. And some some people now just assume because they're mainstream that they'll be treated the same as they would with a bank, um, which is not always the case in in private lending because private lending is unregulated. It's it's an unregulated market uh, in the sense that uh, it's not like a home loan, which falls under the the NCCP, the Consumer Credit Code Act, um, which is heavily regulated. There are stringent policies and, and processes that uh, you know a broker or a lender have to follow. Um, with with a non-regulated, uh, non-coded loan, uh, which is what these private lending uh, loans fall into, um, there's no code of conduct or anything like that. So, so you really are 
you know, at, at the lender. Um, and, and, you know, you, you have to do your due diligence to make sure that you're dealing with, uh, you know, a legitimate lender that, that intends to settle the deal. Um, because there are some out there that will, will just issue term sheets, charge some fees, take you through a little bit of a dance, and at the end of it, they won't settle the loan. So, uh, you know, it, it's all for nothing. So knowing who, who to deal with and, and, and who you can't deal with is, is always been something that, uh, you know, developers have to be aware of. Uh, and, and obviously over time, uh, you know, they, they tend to, to figure these things out. But in terms of changes in the market since uh, we last spoke, obviously the, I suppose the most uh, obvious one is this rising of interest rates uh, over the last sort of six months or not even three months, really, it's, it's sort of started taking off. Um, this is something that we, you know, in the last three, four years, I don't think uh, anyone's even contemplated would, would be happening. Um, so it's it's a, it's a unique uh, point we find ourselves in, even in private lending, where you've got funds that are essentially managing investors' capital. Uh, but even in that space, you do have lenders that have an institutional funding line, which essentially means that uh, if rates go up, uh, then then just like a home loan, um, you know, essentially your your rate will will go up as well. So one thing that we we never saw in a term sheet before was a little clause in there that said this is a variable rate because in private lending most loans are typically short term six 12 months some even maybe 24 months and and it's basically a block of capital that's set aside for that time period and there's a fixed return so that everything's fixed and, and set um, what we're seeing now is a clause added in the term sheet that says this rate is variable which means that if the, the RBA increase their rate by 50 basis points, then your rate on, on this uh, money will also increase in line with that, um, which is throwing a bit of a spanner in the works, um, especially if uh, you're prepaying interest uh, on a facility. And then the rates go up, which essentially means it's almost like a margin call. <laughs> you, you'll get the lender knocking on the door saying that there's a, a, a shortfall or a gap in the interest payment this month, which you need to cover. Um, so these are little intricacies that uh, that previously, you know, were never an issue because the trajectory of rates were always downwards over the last few years. Uh, so developers are having to to now sort of keep an eye on these things. And then, what about some of the issues related to escalating build costs? Because I know, I mean, yeah. I've had my own experience with costs going up unexpectedly. What's happening on that front with People yep. who may be in loans or you know, in, under construction, and they're getting uh, variations, and but then also people that are applying with the uncertainty, I guess that the the supposed fixed price build contract contract that they have uh, may, in all likelihood, finish much higher than that figure. Yeah, I mean, what's a fixed price building contract uh, these days? <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, what, what's unique about this situation is that you, you, the, the impact is magnified because it's happening on both ends in the sense that you've had a rise in the building costs on one side and a drop off in the GRV values on the other side. So it's, it's amplifying the impact uh, on both ends. Uh, so what essentially you're seeing is, uh, some builders out there, um, you know, if they've negotiated a fixed price building contract 12 months ago, say, 
now with the rising costs, you know, some, some of the building costs have escalated over 40% in the last year, um, like steel and things like that. So when you have costs blowing out 40%, then some of these builders, those fixed-price building contracts now are either at a break-even or potentially loss-making for them. So there are builders out there that are scratching their head thinking, you know, do we just cut our losses, fold the company? Uh, and and start fresh or do we try and push through it try and get some capital from somewhere to cover us and and just get through this next year or two um so you're seeing a lot of developers and builders having to come back to the table after a fixed price contract has been negotiated and and in good faith basically say look you know it's it's in everyone's interest that we find a solution um, you know, the, the thing for a developer in this situation is it, it can be difficult because by right, it's a fixed price building contract and they have every right to, to have the builder stand by that, that price. But on the flip side, if they tell the builder, no, you have to stand by this and then the builder folds and goes elsewhere, then the developer has to find a new builder anyway. So any new builder that comes to the table is coming with, today's market prices anyway. So it's this real catch-22 situation, um, which um, I suppose um, it, it brings everyone to the table and uh, and now we have to sort of see how well we can all negotiate as humans to, to find uh, successful resolutions so that everyone wins. Um, so it's it's a unique time um, and, and one that... Um, you know, I think we'll we'll probably sharpen up the industry quite a bit. Um, you know, lenders now, you know, in the past when when we present a, an application for finance, a lender will, will typically scrutinise the developer uh, and make sure that they're solid. Um, and as long as the builder is reputable, um, then there's not too much focus outside of that placed on the builder. Whereas now, some lenders are asking for financials for the builder as well just to make sure that they're, they're solid, that they're not going to fall over mid-project. Mid um, they're asking for what does the builder's project pipeline look like? How many projects are they managing at the moment? You know, uh, Can they manage that cash flow? Um, so these are little things that, um, that previously were, were not an issue um, are now starting to come to the front. Um, contingency funds, you know, previously standard contingency allocation on, uh, on a finance deal is uh, 5% of the, the construction costs. Um, some lenders now are asking for seven uh, and some are even asking for 10. Um, whilst these all these extra things that are happening um, may seem a little bit laborious and, and uh, almost impediments for the developer, in reality, they're actually helping the developer from a, a financial sense in terms of stability. You know, having a little bit of extra in the contingency is is good for the developer, uh, especially in a market like this. Having more scrutiny placed on the builder and making sure that they're sound and solid uh, is good for the developer because uh, it helps them to ensure that the builder can complete. Um, so whilst these things can seem a little bit of a, a pain in the backside, um, ultimately long-term, I think they serve the developer uh, in this instance. Um, so there should be viewed as a, a positive um but yeah we'll, we'll, there's there's lots of uh lots of things happening and so what uh what attitude are lenders taking are you finding if there's blowouts in time escalations in costs yeah. what view are they taking the lenders 
Yeah, so look, there, there are a couple of lenders that have flat out just withdrawn from the construction space. So for the next six months or so, uh, you know, I've had a couple of meetings with some funds that have said to us, look, for the next six months, we're just going to hold our hold our position on construction. We'll just manage out the deals that we have in the pipeline, but we're not taking on any new stuff. Um, others have sort of reviewed what the timelines are for building. Um, you know, so if, if it was a 12-month facility, um, we're sort of looking at putting extensions in place for, for an extra three months just to cover out any any time delays or supply supply issues, um, and like I said, there's the contingency factor. Some are just increasing the contingency, which will uh, sort of allocate for any rising costs. Um, so there are a few a few things at play. Look, the the funds that are are very experienced in the construction space. They know how to sort of weather this. They've seen this stuff before. GFC in 2008, 2009 was a little similar in a sense. Um, I actually think it's um, it's going to be an opportunity for the the, the funds that are, are genuine and, and have good practices and good policies in place. This is where they'll actually start to shine. And a lot of the lenders in the past, maybe that were a little bit careless or or just rode the wave of, of the, the growing market, um, uh, they may start to, to get caught out uh, if a few of the loans on their books start to go a little bit bad. Um, so, it, look, as old saying, when the tide goes out, we see who's swimming with no trunks on, you know. So I think that's what we're witnessing now. The tide is slowly going out and, um, you know, this is where, you know, for, for everyone, whether it's a developer or a builder or a lender, everyone that, that's sort of had solid foundation, still weather this. Um, it's, it's everything cyclical. This is another price. I'm just going through a, a, another cycle here where, you know, the market catches its breath um, and no doubt, you know, moving forward, once things stabilise, then then we'll we'll hit a growth period again. Um, but it's, it's, it's a good opportunity for... You know, for groups to take a step back and and sort of review their policies and their processes and the way they do things and and think, uh, you know, have we got mitigants in place to to weather these sort of uh, things that happen in the future? Um, can we improve our processes? Can we can we tweak things? Um, and I think that's what what the the sharp operators will do in this market now. Yeah, well, we've just had to have our loan extended on a project that's under construction and at the moment just due to some delays so it had to get extended out by three months so fortunately the lender was very understanding about that but yeah. it still comes with a financial cost though but yeah of course the facility is is still available which is the main thing at this yeah. stage but what about terms and conditions you've seen any changes on that front with private lenders or just generally across the lending market look not not too much aside from like i said the the clause regarding variable rates and things like that some some funds are now sort of peeling back the the loan to value ratio that they'd consider so for example before on on a land bank uh, where developers buying a site they they may have considered going up to 65 percent um, at the moment, they're probably just peeling back their their max loan to value ratio to sixty, just to cover for that five percent drop off in in potential values uh, coming off. Um, there are others though that are still quite bullish. Um, 
the thing with lending is, and, and this is just a, a little sort of inside tip that, that I do, it, it, when you have a fund or a lender that is based in the state of the security, they know the market really well, that lender is potentially more inclined to take more of a risk on the deal because they understand it. They understand the location, they understand the security, they understand the market. So they're more likely to, to say, look, we'll, we'll look at 65%. But when you go to a lender that is out of state or they may have operations elsewhere, they're not too familiar with the market, they may want to just hold their risk at 60%. So just little things like that, as simple as approaching a lender that's based in the state that understands the market, may be able to get you that little extra 5% uh, you know, leverage on, on the asset. Um, so... There's little things like that, um, but yeah, it's it's a rapidly changing market. Um, you know, you, you've got to sort of keep your your finger on the pulse, and and, and I, I make it a, a point of sort of catching up with a few funds, uh, you know, once a week, and, and just picking their brain and seeing what they're seeing, and um, and getting their thoughts on on the, on the market. Most of the funds that I speak to seems to be this feel that it's it's roughly around six months that will, will sort of be in this sort of a little bit of an unknown phase. Um, but after that, um, they, the most of them tend to feel that things are going to stabilise, um, which I think you can sort of see it happening already. Um, you know, everything in the beginning when it first happens is is a little bit unknown. It's scary. Um, and you can go back to when COVID first hit. Um, you know, when that first started, uh, everyone was just frozen. Like we had lenders that sort of just pulled all their deals and said we're not lending a cent out until we know what's happening here. Um, but as as things went on, and COVID was still there, but it became more familiar. We we sort of understood more about it. We we knew what was happening, lockdowns and things like that. Everyone sort of just took a breath and, and relaxed, and things stabilized again. And, and you saw it in the property market. You know, it, it, if anything, you know, there was a period where the property market just started booming again. Uh, right in the middle of uh, of a pandemic, um, so it's just a natural reaction when when things happen uh, that are unknown and a little bit scary. Uh, rising costs, you're seeing some large scale builders fall over. People just freeze, and, and and I think now we're starting to see that that stability slowly return to the market. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting space. Uh, you know, no one has a crystal ball. We can't see what's down the track, but uh, we can only hope. And you touched on earlier around valuations and the softening of the market. How yeah. is that impacting lending? Because I know I had this issue myself when I was applying for my last loan, the one that's in place now, and the market was rising at that point, but the valuations were coming in lower just because the valuer was using data that was three months old. Yeah. But what's happening now, we've got the inverse where... You've got softening values which maybe don't align with the developer's feasibility and what they're using for their GRV or expecting their GRV to be, which then obviously impacts on how much they can borrow. What are you seeing on that front? Well, it's it's very interesting at the moment because you have some developers that may have acquired a site two years ago and, and now they're sort of looking to, to bring it out of the ground and, and start developing. But the feasibility that they ran two years ago when they acquired the site and they came up with their project-related site value and how much they should spend on the site um, based on what they think they can build and what it would be worth, um, those numbers now when they run it, 
are totally off. So if they were to run, if they were to buy that site now, they would never have spent what they spent on the site because the numbers, when you work out how much it's going to cost to build, etc., it's just not going to make the profit that they need. So I'm actually seeing some developers now that are, are looking at their site and thinking, I'm going to profit more by selling the site as it is than I am by actually developing it and building it. So it, it comes down to, I suppose, what the objective is for the developers. Some of them just need to keep things ticking. They need to keep active for a year until they, they can sort of acquire another site. They've got workers. They, they need to keep them busy. So you'll have some developers that will actually build out a project now for no profit, maybe just to break even, just for the purposes of keeping things active, keeping the business ticking along. Um, but you'll have some that will actually look at their site now and, and say, you know what, you know, I have a client that, you know, that had a site that's worth about $3 million to build now. And, and develop, uh, it's it's never going to return the profit that they were thinking. So they're, at the moment, they're in this position where if they sell the site, they're going to make close, if not more profit uh, on the sale of the site than they are if they're going to go through and, and develop it. So, you know, in good conscience, I, I, I said to them, you need to consider uh, selling the site instead of, I mean, I'd love to do the finance for you, but in reality, if, let's look at the numbers. The numbers say that, you know, you're probably going to make the same amount, if not more. So why take the risk of building if you don't have to? Um, so, it, it, like I said, it's, it's each to their own. It depends on what their objective is. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a unique uh, situation, but definitely not something that hasn't happened in the past. No, I I, mad, I think there's a lot of developers with projects. That paid, as you said, maybe two years ago, a year ago, paid high prices for the land, and then things have softened, and they're doing their feasibility, and they're going, well, it's making seven, eight percent, if that. Yeah. Um, and there's so much uncertainty; it's kind of not worth doing it. But to sell, they probably make a loss because the sites, yeah. the values have dropped, and so they're stuck. Yeah. They can't develop. Yeah. They can't. They they don't want to realize a loss, so they're sort yeah. of stuck. That's right. And you know what, Justin? Just like the law of cause and effect, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. The flip side on this situation is also true. So, whilst you have developers that acquired a site on the high side, and now in this market where the the values are dropped, um, you'll have plenty of opportunities now for developers to go in and acquire a site under market value and if they hold that site when the market picks up again and starts booming then when they work out their feasibility that 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 site potentially could could be making a monstrous profit uh, more than more than uh, the average uh, sort of uh, site would so so with everything with every sort of uh, you know challenge and obstacle there's there's always a seed of, uh, of opportunity planted in there somewhere if you can find it um, which I think, um, you know, th there is a lot of developers out there that I'm, I'm sure the experienced ones, the ones that have been there and seen this happen before, they would have been sitting on some cash and, and just holding their position. Uh, and no doubt they'd be going through and scooping up a few development sites in the next six to 12 months. Yeah, I've got a feeling that later next year, so late 23, there's actually going to be a bit of a shortage of properties in some of the capital cities for all these reasons. 
projects not getting out of the ground, just too difficult to, um, and people just not proceeding. And then there'll be a gap, there'll be a shortage again, which will then lead to some price increases plus a lift in immigration. Yeah, correct. I agree. Um, obviously, the yeah, from COVID onwards, the the pace at which properties have been developed have has considerably slowed. Um, which you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that has to have an impact somewhere down the track. Um, you know, I mean, similar to what we're seeing with inflation. I mean, inflation at the moment, I would I would venture a guess to say is primarily driven because of supply issues more than it is from consumer spending. Uh, look, I'm sure there is some consumer spending element to it, but uh, the supply issues have have massively uh, contributed to to what we're seeing uh, in inflation at the moment. So um, that, if you just follow that model, uh, you know, it, it's going to happen uh, as well in in the property prices uh, over the next one to two years because of the lack of supply, um, which is going to have the RBA pulling their hair out because. Uh, yeah, they're, they're essentially trying to slow down the growth of property uh, at the moment because it's it's growing exponentially and, and becoming very, very difficult for, for the average first-time buyer to enter the market. Um, but, you know, supply and demand, uh, you know, uh, you, know you, you can't get away from it if, if there's a lack of supply uh, and the demand is there, which, which it will be. Um, there's going to be upward pressure on the value. Yeah, well, I think my wife has been contributing to the consumer spending inflation rates <laughs> based on the number of deliveries that keep arriving at our doors. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what, the, the delivery companies, um, you know, I, I'm sure that, that's, that, that would have been one good investment to have made because I'm sure they've done very, very well over the last few years. Um, you know, I, I, I see it every every day within, within the street. You see the, the same van, UPS van, <laughs> just driving through, delivering goods. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, so what's your advice at the moment for developers that are getting ready to apply or are about to apply or thinking about their funding options? What's your advice for them? Yeah. So look, I wrote a little article um, a while back on on why developers should be focused less on interest rate and more on relationships. Um, and, and I'll explain the reason why. Um, at the moment, um, you, you're seeing a lot of developers have to, to go back to the table with builders, go back to the table with lenders and renegotiate terms. So whether that's an extension on the loan term, whether that's you know some variations to the contract. Now, if you don't have a good relationship with a lender or if you're not dealing with a lender that is commercial in their viewpoint but in the sense that you know they they want to build a relationship with the developer they want a long-term uh you know uh relationship where you know they can look at funding multiple projects if they're just if you're dealing with someone that is just there to do the transaction and doesn't care then for example you mentioned yourself having to go back and renegotiate an extension on your loan term now there are some lenders out there that would have just potentially said no here's your default interest rate Unless it's paid back by this date, uh, you'll be charged, you know, ten percent extra or five percent extra on your interest rate, which you know starts to present a real problem for you because now you have to get a project 
refinanced out mid-project. Now, there are not a lot of lenders queuing up to, to fund a project that's three quarters of the way complete. So <clears throat> it now starts to eat into your profits. So this is why I say you need to have a lender or someone, uh, an intermediary or someone that understands the space that is going to set the facility up with someone that, you know, I have an old saying, when, when the market is good and everything's going great, everyone is your friend. Everyone is, is, is great to do business with. But you don't find out who you're dealing with until, excuse my language, but shit hits the fan. Then, then we see who you're dealing with. Then we know what kind of a, a relationship this is. Who are they understanding? Can they see reason? Can you negotiate? Uh, and only then you find out. Okay, this is someone that I'd like to deal with in the future. Um, so, um, I, I would be scrutinising sort of uh, the lenders or the builders or whoever you're dealing with to to make sure you 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 have a sense that if things go pear shaped, this is someone. Uh, now, when I say negotiate with, I don't mean that they're going to waive all of the, the their their terms and and just bow to you. I mean that someone that will see reason and and come up with a fair compromise or a, a fair um, a fair uh, sort of solution. Now, what happens is when when a developer or brokers, for that matter, are just shopping for a deal, they get one lender that gives them a rate of. 8%, another lender gives them 7.5, uh, another lender gives them 7.4. They're just, by default, 7.4, that's my deal. If you can't beat that, that's where I'm going. But that 7.4 lender could be, you know, if something goes wrong, they could take you to the cleaners and back, whereas the 8% lender is trustworthy, they're, they're able to negotiate, you can reason with them. So whilst it might cost you a little bit more on your rate, um, you know, down the track, it's going to save you a lot more if, if this lender uh, is someone that you can deal with and, and trust. So that's why I sort of say if, if, if I'm going out to market now, I'm, I'm sort of making sure I'm dealing with someone that's reputable, that uh, has good good reviews. Uh, speak to, to some some people in the industry. Uh, have you dealt with these guys before? What are they like? Um, you know, you, you'll be able to get if someone, if a lender is is, is untoward and, and and not of of good standing, um, you don't have to ask too many people to to get that feedback. Um, you know, uh, I, I, look, I mean, each to their own. I would, I'm not saying this because obviously I'm a broker, but the value in using an experienced broker uh, is critical. If if you're dealing with someone that you don't know. So now if you've got a relationship with a lender and you've done 10 deals, then by all means, you know, you don't need a broker for that. But if you're sort of looking for a solution, um, it can be quite risky going out there because a the lender doesn't represent the developer. They represent themselves. Um, so having someone in between that can, you know, be an advocate for the developer and make sure they, they sort of filter everything, um, that, that can be, you know, invaluable. Um, you know, if if you need them, um, but yeah, that that's sort of what I'd focus on uh, if I was uh, about to sort of procure a finance. Yeah, look, I give that advice to people when they ask. It's I say, look, don't be a cheapskate. Don't just be looking for the cheapest option. Look for value. What's the most valuable solution or the most valuable offer? And that may not be just based on price. It could be the Correct. experience of that person, whether it's the builder or the lender or the architect or the town planner. In these times, 
you want the value uh, yeah. that may not be the cheapest don't just go chasing the cheapest because you may may end up costing you a whole lot more yeah yeah not only value justin it's it's expertise i mean like just think of it like this imagine your gp your doctor says to you you have a heart problem and you need to get a heart operation it could be life-threatening you don't go around to four or five different cardiologists to get quotes to see who's the cheapest and then go with the cheapest quote. You don't do that. I mean, if, if we're talking it's serious, you say, who's the who's the best cardiologist that within reason that I can afford and I have to go to them and get them to do the operation? I'm not taking any chances, you know. So when I think of a developer that, you know, is is looking for finance, you know, getting the wrong, wrong finance and the wrong lender put in place is the equivalent to having a bad cardiologist. In, in, and, you know, some of them... You know, could wipe you out if you don't get the right uh, thing. So it's crazy to me that they would think, you know, for the sake of saving a little bit here or there, I'll go with this one over this one. Uh, just go for the one that you think has the most expertise that can get the job done. Um, that's who I would be saying, okay, that's that's my guy. Uh, well, that's my lender. Um, that That's how I would approach it anyway. Uh, and, and I found that the developers that treat it like that um, tend to, to always be successful in, in this space. Yes, well, I think that's good advice and probably a pretty good place to start wrapping things up. So uh, where can people find out more about you, Fabian, if they're interested or want to know more? Yeah, yeah. look, more than happy to to just uh, drop me an email. Um, you can reach me on info at cccapital.org. No doubt I'm sure you'll, you'll pop the details in the description. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I'm I'm always attentive to to email, so happy to to have a chat if anyone needs any help. And your website's uh, very good as well. You got heaps of good resources and articles on there for developers. People want to get on there and find out more information. And I think you're quite yeah, good jump at publishing on. stuff. It's helpful. Yeah, LinkedIn as LinkedIn as well. If anyone wants to jump on LinkedIn, you can find me. Um, I usually write an article once a month up, uh, and post it up on LinkedIn. So. Yeah, if you want to connect on LinkedIn, I'm more than happy to to sort of share some some insights as well. Fantastic. Well, great to talk to you again, Fabian. Was there any last comments you had for us? No, look, uh, it, it was uh, it was really nice to circle back and, uh, and and jump on the pod with you again, Justin. Um, congratulations to to yourself. Uh, I've actually I remember listening to, to a couple of the first episodes when you first launched this podcast, and uh, it's it's quite surreal to actually be sitting here and, and chatting with you. Um, so congratulations on the success of this because I think it's an invaluable tool for, for property developers out there. Uh, you cover a really good uh, range of topics. Uh, and I th- think it's uh, it, it's it's really good. So well done. Well, thank you for saying that. It's been a fun ride, closing in on 100 episodes. So yeah, well. planning some interesting people coming up over the next few episodes. I have to think about what to do for the ton. So <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it's been great. Awesome. Well, thank you again for having me. Thanks for coming back on the show. Let's not leave it two and a half years uh, until the next <laughs> chat. But thanks again for coming back Thank on God. the podcast. Thanks, Justin. Take care. See you later. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas, and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.